When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 20 of the On Deck Red Sox podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. I'm your host, Bob Osgood, and I am joined, as always, this week by Shelly Verstraight. Shelly, we had an entire agenda ready to go, and just out of nowhere, we have a new first topic to lead the show today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, uh, let's, I mean, we again, like you said, we had a full agenda. I mean, we're going to talk about draft stuff and just, just pull all draft stuff into this action packed and then some other big news happens so you gotta love it yeah you want to tell us what that is uh hand it over to you yeah um i don't know if you know the listeners have heard of this guy but some guy named jaron duran was called up to the majors yeah um it was huge news um i mean i've been kind of kind of sort of expected it for a while but it just honestly it came out of the blue so bob i mean did it come out the blue for you as well yeah i wasn't ready yeah. for it um you know and in, in fact it was funny i was on with keaton a couple days ago and i said you know well now i don't even know if he's going to be up in july because the outfield has been looking so good and they're just all on point defensively and i don't know if they're going to disrupt that and the first time that i had any doubt creep in they call him up the first day out of the break <laughs> in yankee stadium um what was expected to be the first game for any team out of the break before we get some more updated news tonight they were going to throw him right to the fire he was going to be hitting seventh and playing center field and you know in the big stadium what what more can you ask for than that so uh we were super excited over here and then got news that there's some COVID outbreak protocols, all of that going on again. So won't get into that too much, but we'll we'll talk about Duran. Shelly, kind of what are your expectations and, you know, where do you think he fits in and who might lose playing time as a result of Jaron Duran getting called up? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, I, I'm really excited. I was and when he was being called up, like he was going to be making his debut in Yankee Stadium, so you know he's going to be a lefty. I I was just expecting like some type of like home run stuff, like he was going to hit like a home run off the the short porch. Like I was I was just all bought in. Yeah. Um, but I guess if I have to think about it, who might be losing um playing time? Um. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I guess it kind of depends on whoever is playing uh, center field or, or second base. You know, do we got Kike Hernandez or either? I think that he would be, you know, moving over towards uh, second base. Yeah. Um, so, Which is interesting because yeah. he had been playing such a great center field yeah. for weeks now. And with his glove and his arm, he made two spectacular catches last week and had been throwing multiple players out at the bases and 
close on other throws that he made from pretty deep. So it was interesting just to see that this was the timing that he was moved. And I just think he's going to bounce around. I think they have so much versatility, and that works to their advantage here. Um, You know, I think Arroyo probably will lose a start or two each week. I don't know that Arroyo was, as much as I love the guy, was necessarily a a full-time bat over there. And there's also news that he might work over to first base a little bit with, um, you know, Dahlbeck maybe not being a full-time bat either. So if you work all of these guys in four or five days a week, maybe he takes a uh, spot for Renfro every now and then on the corner. I think that they're just going to move people around and Kike will probably play more second base, maybe half the time that he's at second base. But, um, you know, this is where the versatility that they have and Marwan Gonzalez heading to the DL with one of the moves that they'll need to make along with another call up that we'll talk about in a minute. So I think it'll just be a little bit of everything, but I would say the move from center to second for Kike would probably have a bit of a trickle down effect, but we'll have to see. Um, and, you know, we were already going to talk about an athletic article noting his improved, Durant's improved defense and swing and miss in the last month or so. Uh, the hitting coach, AAA Rich Gedman, old catcher for the Red Sox, old friend, said, uh, I keep waiting for him to get tired. He's been doing this thing for over a year now, from the alternate site last year to playing winter ball, to spring training, to halfway through a season here. When is he going to get tired? He's got a motor. He brings intensity every single day. And there was other notes in the article, too, that talked about just how he's kind of in his head um, creating doubters almost that um, just to kind of fuel him. And he just seems to have that killer mentality, you know, that, you know, me against the world type of player that the more that you read and, and just everybody around him, you can tell that he's a not just a unique talent, but seems to have that mental edge that you really need to be a star player. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and I just I just love hearing that like he is just so devoted, like I I'm going to get better. I'm going to be the best quote unquote and you know taking that into what he did in 2020 um just that total swing change he he absolutely transformed himself from basically just like a slappy hitter to a guy who has a good hit tool plus power like he totally transformed himself so yeah i i totally am buying into um, just the the baseball player that uh, Durant is. Yeah, and we talked about it a while back, but it's worth bringing up again the, the batted ball metrics that have changed as a result of that swing change. And you look at it on his, look at his fan graphs page and look at the batted ball data. And last year, he, or from 2019, I should say, um, you know, at the high A level, 11% of his, it was 11% home run to fly ball rate, and then at double A, it was a 2% home run to fly ball rate. At triple A, it's been 29% of the balls that he hits in the air are home runs. His infield fly ball percentage, you know, pop ups have gone down from 19% to 9%. He's hitting the ball in the air, but it hasn't affected uh, his walk rates. His walk rates have stayed steady pretty much throughout he's all the way up at 11 percent for a walk rate so he's had a great eye and his strikeout rate is at 23.7 percent after it was 23.9 percent at double a so that has not the walk to k ratio hasn't been affected negatively in fact it's been a slight positive 
despite the swing change. So it's just so rare to see something. You see, you know, players sell out for power, and it affects their their average or their on base percentage or how often they strike out. None of those things have happened. He's increased his pull percentage and across the board. So it's just everything that you want to see. And I don't know. You probably can tell that I'm excited about this. So. <laughs> We're both very excited about this. Yeah, and, you know, we've been talking about it all year, and that goes ahead of the draft review, which is another exciting thing that was from Sunday to Tuesday and started in round one with a shocker right out of the gate. Um, We talked about Henry Davis and Jack Leiter so much on the preview episode as the two players that we wanted to preview that we thought were in that number four we think they'll get one of these two guys. But who really knows? We didn't know what was going to happen. And those players went one and two, which at first was just like, wow, you know, those are the players that we talked about and who we were interested in. And then you started to think, okay, well, who's going to fall as a result of that? And then the curveball came with the Detroit Tigers taking Jackson Job at the third pick. It sounds like they had some sort of, you know, whether it was a promise to take him or some sort of agreement. And all of a sudden, Marcelo Mayer is there with the fourth pick out of Eastlake High School in Chula Vista, California. Um, what did you think? Did We didn't say more than two words about other than his name <laughs> last week. So what were your thoughts when you saw that, that Mayer fell to four? Oh, my gosh, Bob. Uh, Sunday was very interesting for me because, I mean, I, I turn on, you know, the MOB draft. I'm getting it all excited because I honestly thought that we were going to get Henry Davis. Like, I was just just yeah. totally just bought into that. And then when he went 1-1, I'm like, okay. And then when Jack, Jack Leiter went uh, 1-2, I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, I honestly thought that, you know, Detroit was going to take Bayer. Um, But as soon as it came in, like, I jumped up and I was like, oh, my gosh, we got I I I still can't believe it. Like, I'm still pinching myself. Like, this is like, honestly, this was like my number one guy in the draft. And I never thought that we would have uh, a chance at him. And I'm just like, I'm so excited about this guy. Like, I just keep reading um, you know, different articles and different things about him. I think that he has just pretty much everything. Like, he has just, I mean, maybe outside of maybe a speed kind of uh, tool set, like, he right. has above average tool sets outside of speed. So I'm, oh, I still, I yeah. still can't believe it that we laid at him at four. Yeah, and to just throw some grades on that from Baseball America from, you know, the 20 to 80 scale, they throw a 65 hit tool on Mayer, which is outstanding, uh, 55 power, 60 in the field, 60 arm, and as you mentioned, a 40 run. Um, has just a contact skills and defense floor that it, it's you don't see the risk of him not making it to the league, right? He, he's going yeah. to be... A major league player it's just a question of what his upside is and he has just this simple short stride controlled swing that when you watch it you just think it's from the left side is put together in a lab you know it's just so smooth and it's so simple and has just a natural look and he has the same natural look when you watch his footwork and his arm in the field um you know has good range good footwork 
throws well, doesn't have much of a risk of moving off of the shortstop position. So there's just um, a lot of, of safety with the pick, but at the same time, it's not, I'm trying to think, you know, of a player, you know, Dansby Swanson, maybe like floor kind of thing, right? Where he could be a pretty good player, but has so much more ceiling than that. You hear the Corey Seager comps as a left-handed hitter where his power could emerge. And he did have that power in high school, hitting 410 with 13 homers in um, the high school season, which was against that San Diego County, Southern California, which was really tough competition uh, that he faced. So in terms of you know, throwing the money at Mayer. You know, we have that, the Red Sox have a 11.6 or 11.4, something, 11.4 that they can throw across the 20 picks. And you may not sign all 20 picks, and we'll talk about the other players in a little bit. But the slot for where the Red Sox pick was was about $6.7 million. <clears throat> What are you hearing in terms of, do you think that they might have to go a little bit beyond that because of the player and where he was expected to go? Or do you kind of have any thoughts on how that might trickle down to the rest of the draft? Um, I, 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 I do think that it might be like a little bit over slot. Um, you know, he's currently projected like 6'7". Um, so I'm thinking maybe like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, maybe 7". Um, but yeah. I don't really think anything higher than that. Um, but honestly, in my opinion, just give him all the money. I'm so excited about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's references in the past to teams that just went nuts in the first three rounds and then punted the rest of the draft or something along those lines. And while I don't think it'll be that drastic yeah. with uh, Mayer and the, the second round pick, uh, Judd Fabian out of Florida, they're both players that kind of fell in their laps, which is a great thing from a talent perspective. And walking away from the draft, if you said Mayer at four and Judd Fabian at 40, you would take that any day of the week. But as a result, they might need to pay a little bit more uh, than the slot, and it might have affected how they drafted after that or whether they will be able to sign more than... 14, 15 of their 20 picks, depending on some of the high school players that probably won't sign and might end up going to college because they don't, you can't really go beyond that 11.4. I think you can go 5% beyond that amount that you have for the draft. And then there are significant fines and losing of your first round pick if you go much beyond that. So I'm sure they'll sign both of the players at the start, but it will be interesting to see how that trickles down and perhaps whether they would have taken different players in rounds, um, you know, three through 10 than they did. So looking at the second round pick, as I mentioned from Florida, Judd Fabian, he's an outfielder and tale of two seasons with him. If you even those early, early mocks that are probably coming out now, the ones from a year ago, sometimes you saw the Red Sox linked to Fabian with the fourth pick as early as last, you know, off season. <clears throat> he ends up falling to 40 because he had early season struggles with swing and miss. He was striking out, I believe, more than 30% of the time for the first third to half of the season, and then had a great improvement later in the season was the player that he was expected to be. Um, you know, what have, what have you seen from Fabian? What have you read about him? And what are your expectations in terms of, you know, ceiling floor um, with the outfielder from Florida? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, as you said, like, prior to, you know, this, this uh, NCAA season, you know, college season, um, he was really high up in the draft, uh, but he really struggled. Um, basically, he is a big-time power guy, big-time strikeout guy. Um, and the strikeouts at the beginning of the season was really, really bad. So he started falling uh, down in, you know, the draft ranks and stuff like that. But he started to kind of sort of put it together um, towards, you know, the later part of, you know, his junior year um, at Florida. Um, and that gives me a little bit of hope. Um, I, I do think that he will always struggle with the swing and miss, but that power is legit. So I am totally fine yeah. with taking and a gamble here. Taking the gamble in the second round is a lot different than that being your first round player. If that was their first yeah. pick, if they had a great record last year and they were picking it 25 to 30 range, you might not make that pick. But in the second round, especially with what you had gotten the first, it makes all the sense in the world. There was the clip making the rounds this week of him hitting two home runs off of Jack Leiter in the same game, and that was, it seemed to be when he started to break out the second half of the season. Um, <clears throat> other note on him is his defensive potential, and just to, you know, we won't give the grades on everybody, but he's a 45 hit and a 60 power, so as mentioned, great power, 55 run and 70 field. Um, center fielder, and in the Baseball America write-up, they described him as a standout defensive center fielder for Florida since the day that he stepped on campus. So it's really interesting, you know, as a you know big power hitter, but also standout defensive center fielder with a 70-grade field, really interesting. So it's all going to be about whether he can get rid of that swing and miss that's in his game because as a college junior, he could be a quick mover, um, provided that he can get rid of that swing and miss. So if the power's there, he... They're not going to have to hide him on the field. He's not a DH type. He's a great center fielder as well. Yep. All right. Um, so those were the the two picks that were, you know, really exciting on the the Sunday night and the start of the draft on Monday, which was rounds two through ten. And Fabian slot is about one point nine million. Again, they might need to go a little bit above that to ensure that he'll sign. Um, once you get past the second round, the slots go down to 830000 for the third round, 500 and change for the fourth round, and then you're getting closer to 400000 300000 200000 from the fifth round and beyond. So we won't go through all of those, but it's just interesting to know kind of what the expectations are. 6.7 for the first pick and 1.9 for the second pick. And, you know, it could be 5% or so above that. Uh, Fabian was the 27th ranked player on Baseball America's list and 23rd on MLB's list. Uh, Mayer was one for MLB and two behind Jordan Lawler for um, the second pick. I did, you know, I mentioned it, but if you want to, was there another name we didn't talk about non-Red Sox in the first round, but I had it on the list here, too. Was there any name that that stuck out as a pick that you really liked outside of the Red Sox in the first round? Maybe a player that um, dropped a little bit or someone that you were excited about that we, we talked about last week? Um, um, I don't, I don't, I really don't think so. Um, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I thought Khalil Watson falling all the way to uh, 16 yeah. with um, Miami. Miami. Yeah. 
that was interesting. And I knew you liked McGreevy, right? He went 18 to St. Louis, and that was uh, they felt the same way that, that you did. You had him as kind of a late first round yep. possibility, and he jumped up. And I mentioned Watson, but I thought Watson could potentially go fifth or sixth or something up there, and he dropped two picks apart from McGreevy. Um, and then the other name that we mentioned last week, Gavin Williams, who was a potential second-round target, although we didn't think it was too likely that he would fall. He went 23rd to Cleveland, which I love that kind of matchup um, with the Cleveland development of pitching with uh, Gavin Williams from East Carolina. I thought that was a perfect match there. Um, so kind of going beyond the second round, Tyler McDonough was the third round pick from NC State, and that was a name that you wanted to talk about a little bit, uh, their, their third round pick, their second baseman. Yeah, I, I, I think that he's going to be a really interesting guy. Um, this might be a little bit of, like, cost savings, um, especially with Mayer and, and, and Fabian. Like, they're, they're probably going to probably both go over slot just um, just because of their pedigree, talent, whatever. Um, so, McDonough is just kind of, like, a really interesting, like, third-round pick. Maybe can take a little bit of cost savings. <clears throat> Um, his slot is about, you know, 830K, you know, so it might be a little bit, you know, less than that. But McDonough is about, he, he's kind of like on the smaller side. Like, he's like 5'10", 180. Um, but he's hit extremely well, you know, the entire yeah. time that he has been at NC State. Um, he showed a little bit more over-the-fence power um this year um he had a career high um 15 bombs um and scouts have really been impressed with his all fields approach with his power like he has all fields approach with his power which is pretty cool and his exit belows have been you know pretty you know pretty good for someone at you know at his you know at at his size so Yeah. yeah i i really like the guy um, I don't know what we have here, but it really sounds like a good baseball guy, and I'm yeah. I'm really happy. Right, you see the words, you know, gamer and fifties across the yep. board and versatile. So yeah, he was not a top hundred prospect on really any of the lists, and you're right, it could be someone that conversely they needed to save a little bit of money, um, you know, but still probably a, a signable player, but drafted a little bit ahead of where he was expected to go. Similar to uh, Elmer Rodriguez Cruz, who was their fourth-round pick, right-handed pitcher, uh, Puerto Rico. Um, he was going to be an Oregon commit, um, but you know, drafted in the fourth round, might be enticed to uh, to take a contract. High school arm, six foot four, um, 160 pounds, throws 94 miles an hour. What did you have on Rodriguez, uh, Elmer Rodriguez Cruz? Oh, yeah. Honestly, like, he was, like, one of, like, the youngest players in the draft. He is still currently 17 years old. You know, he's pitching. You know, he, he lives in Puerto Rico. Like, he and he's committed to Oregon. So this is, this might be a little bit of a, a gamble here by the Red Sox. Maybe we can kind of entice him to come on um he's a projectable southpaw he has a good fastball he's still kind of working on his secondaries and stuff but basically what i think of him is like just like a ball of clay like if we can you know entice him to come in he could be like really interesting but i wouldn't be surprised if we don't sign him 
yeah, that would be certainly a, a long-term play compared to any of yeah. their other picks in the first three rounds. Um, yeah, so the, the fifth-round pick, Nathan Hickey, was a catcher from Florida, so they went back to the well with uh, Florida there, University of Florida, and Hickey was the best hitter on a, a Florida team that was very good this year. He had a 317 average with a 435 OBP, and uh, the you know the the report on him is a good hit tool contact guy, but also has plus raw raw power. They could potentially tap into a little bit there. The um, walks and strikeouts was the interesting part with Nathan Hickey. He had 42 walks and 20 strikeouts uh, this season. So obviously, good eye at the plate, good hit tool. Uh, I think defensively lags a little bit, but who knows? It could be one of those players. As the more and more that I hear that the the robot umps could be coming in a few years, he's a 40 field. If he did stick a catcher, maybe that would be something that benefits him because he's got a 60 grade power. Um, struggled. The report kind of his negatives are that he struggled up in the zone, so that's something to watch. But in the fifth round, seemed like a pretty good pick there. Um, that has some potential, another college hitter, which they did, you know, for uh, the first, you know, five out of six picks were hitters while certain teams were taking pitchers and some teams were taking all pitchers. So they kind of zagged a little bit with the more pitching heavy draft than normal. Um, so looking at round six through 10, you know, Shelly can, I'll throw these names out there and you can let me know if there's any of these five that interest you. Daniel, uh, McIlvenny from Bonavista, California, um, was their sixth-round pick, high schooler. Seventh-round pick, Wyatt Olds, a right-hander from Oklahoma. Eighth-round, Hunter Dobbins, right-handed pitcher from Texas Tech. Ninth-round, third baseman, Tyler Miller from Auburn. And in the tenth round, Matt Latwicki, a right-handed pitcher from Indiana. So four out of five in round six through ten. Uh, and after that, even more kind of college bats and arms that they went with any names that stick out in around six through ten that you wanted to talk about oh uh, yeah i mean hunter dobbins is kind of interesting um he, you know he was um at tcu and he's currently recovering from tj so maybe it's kind of like a you know we can kind of uh sign him and then he can like yeah um just kind of uh develop he, after he, he... Go I was gonna say he's throwing in the he was throwing in the high nineties before he had yeah. surgery, so that seemed like kind of a um, you know roll the dice kind of pick in the eighth round there. Yeah, yeah. So I I mean I really like that, and uh, I I don't know. I guess maybe kind of sort of from like a personal standpoint. Um, my husband is a cousin of Daniel McKevy. Um, oh. So that yeah that that. Uh, <laughs> That kind of came out of, uh, uh, that was a very surprising kind of uh, development. The newfound as, cousin? Uh, yes. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. So that's kind of a guy that I'm just going to keep an eye out on just because of, yeah, uh, yeah family things. So, yeah. That's, that's great insight. I love it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not related to any of these players that I know of, but... <laughs> Tyler Miller in the ninth round, uh, the third baseman from Auburn, he had really good numbers in the SEC, which made him interesting and um, definitely had him kind of higher up on some draft boards. But 
kind of reading the reports on him, seems as if most of his power was from the pull side, and he had really low uh, walk number, 6.5%, one of the lowest in the SEC. But, you know, still good to see that he had 16 home runs in 51 games in the SEC. I mean, there's no denying that. It's worth yeah. taking a shot in the ninth round, um, and hopefully they can, you know, work on that hit tool to get a better eye at the plate, but has some versatility, has played all over in the infield and the outfield there as well. Um, looking at rounds 11 through 15, have a feeling I know who you're going to bring up here, but in the 11th <laughs> round, uh, Nico Cavadas, first baseman from Notre Dame. 12th round, Christopher Troy, uh, right-handed pitcher from UC Santa Barbara. 13th round, Zach Earhard, uh, shortstop from Wharton, Florida High School. Uh, Jacob Webb, right-handed pitcher from Miami of Ohio in the 14th, and then in the 15th, Peyton Green, high school shortstop from Green Hope, North Carolina, who is committed to NC State. So uh, what would you like from, from this group, Shelley? Uh, yeah, I mean, my the guy that I really liked um, is Nico Cavadas. Um, as yep. I was just kind of like just seeing like he was drafted i'm like how on earth did this guy last to the 11th round i don't know other than he's just a behemoth at first base and that just really doesn't uh project well like you really have to hit if you're a you know a first base prospect but i i'm really really intrigued like he's a power bat for the left hand side um he hit 21 home runs uh, for Notre Dame in their 41 games, which is just great. Um, scouts yeah. have said that he can really hit the fastball, um, but he struggles with breaking and off-speed stuff, which will probably, you know, I hope that he can kind of develop, uh, maybe be able to hit some type of, you know, some type of, like, breaking and off-speed stuff. But just looking at the stat line and just everything, getting... You know, Nico in the eleventh round. I love it. Like I, I, I absolutely love that signing. Yeah, you feel like there's a bit of a stigma, like almost that's overcorrected with the power hitting, limited defense, first baseman. I'm trying to figure out why he was available in the eleventh round with a yeah. sixty-five power tool. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I can't figure it out. Um, but I love that we picked him up in the 11th round. Like, I was yeah. just, I've been reading um, a couple reports. You got Baseball America, you got MLB Pipeline, you got Fangrass, and I'm just like, uh, why was he here? But I'm glad right. he was here, and I'm glad he's uh, with our team. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I mean, he's, he's got a hit, and he's got a hit a ton at every level because he's got limited defense, more of a 30 grade defense, but designated hitters exist and it's probably going to be a position on all 30 teams starting yep. next year so i don't know i mean i was shocked that the player was there so um i was going to mention peyton green he was a shortstop in the 15th round he's one of the ones that would be most like unlikely to sign um it sounds like a lot of teams had green even as high as the top 50 on their boards but probably got some you know word that he would only sign possibly if he was picked in one of the top rounds and then by the time that it got to pass round five it was probably at a slot amount that he would find it more you know lucrative in the long term to go to college um, but you know he was around top 100 in the baseball america rankings with 
45 hit and a 50 power and a 55 run and a really good defensive player and someone that they think would stick at shortstop. So, um, again, 15th rounder, probably not someone that will take the 125,000 that goes with that spot, but we'll see if strange things happen. And then just to round off the draft, round 16 through 20, same thing. The slot's 125,000 um, approximately per pick. B.J. Vela, uh, second baseman from Reedley Junior College in California. Luis Guerrero, right-handed pitcher from Chipola Junior College in Florida. Uh, Philip Sykes, outfielder from TCU in the 18th. Uh, 19th round, Tyler Uberstein, right-handed pitcher from Northwestern. And then Josh Hood is a shortstop in the 20th round. Anything to add at the bottom of this draft in the last five picks, Shelley? Um, not really. Um, I mean, yeah. there were a couple of seniors, uh, senior signs who could be uh, kind of like easy signs. But, yeah, not really. Yeah, Sykes from TCU was another center fielder. Seems like a run profile, line drive profile. He did hit 329 at TCU in a good conference and was on base 43% of the time. You know, potential bench outfielder type. Uh, Josh Hood was their last pick. It's interesting because no one's really seen him since 2019. He's had two years off because the obvious 2020 and then in 2021, um, Penn in the Ivy League canceled their season entirely and he is now transferring to NC State and it's essentially going to be three years in between. But was, you know, had some good reports on him what will be three years before that. So, it's possible that he does sign, and it doesn't seem like it's as unlikely as Peyton Green, but also interesting, but both of them are transferring to NC State. All right, what did I miss? Did we cover everything? <laughs> Probably yeah. not. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great, like, three days of just stuff, and I'm still pinching myself that we got Mayor at four. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, I'll be honest, I don't love the all-star break draft but you know it is something there's something going on but just sunday and monday there was just usually those are a couple days to just take a break from a every day for 200 days plus season that we have in the baseball year and it ended up being more chaotic than every than anything so yep 100 percent. all right um moving on there is plenty of news to talk about in the minor leagues so another call up on thursday we mentioned jaron duran earlier i don't think it officially happened i don't think either of the moves officially happened because the game got called uh, in the early afternoon but tanner hauck going to be called up as well um presumably friday or whenever they have their first game coming out of the break and in his five rehab starts gave up nine runs in 18 innings walked seven struck out 22 down at worcester and a reminder that he's had five MLB starts and one brief relief outing where he's struck out 33 and 27 innings with a 1.98 ERA. And Cora was quoted um, in the pregame as saying that they were going to use him out of the bullpen early in the Yankee series and then have him start on Wednesday and then do the same thing, use him out of the bullpen, and then maybe the week after uh, give him another start. So... It seems like they want him, one, to be versatile, but also to protect his arm because I don't think he went more than four innings in the minors. So it's just kind of that in-between to see whether they're going to need him and then also just playing this many days in a row. The way I look at that is 
give some arms a break in the, the long term in the rotation too. I don't know what you read from that comment. Yeah, uh, kind of like what I kind of like, kind of read from it. It's like they're kind of going like five and a half man instead of like six man. So it's like yeah. maybe are they using Hauk as like the bulk bullpen guy, you know, at the start and then maybe easing him in and maybe taking one of a underperforming starter out. Um, so I get it, but it's it's interesting. I really want to see how like this first kind of one to two rotation turns kind of goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way of putting it. Five and a half man staff right now. And it also depends what happens in those 18 days. Do they increase a lead in the AL East. I mean, the division is going to be so important, but, you know, will they have more opportunities to give their rotation a break, or are they going to need to have everybody throw in 170 to 190 innings to get that division? Because no one, you know, that, that one game wild card is just a whole different animal, even though it's been around for a few years now. Yeah. Chris Sale had his first rehab start. Up-and-coming prospect Chris Sale at the uh, Florida Complex League. He threw three innings today uh, on Thursday, I should say. Four hits, no runs, no walks, five strikeouts, 39 pitches. So very efficient. Um, I was reading Ian Kondo a little bit, talking about it was all weak contact, and he had uh, notes that he was throwing 94. But then Cora this evening said that he was clocked at 97, which is a huge difference. And if Sale's throwing 97 (laughs) already then that's going to make things pretty interesting. Um, His next rehab start is set for Tuesday in Portland. Uh, So between that and then the slightly, um, you know, there was another rehab start, right, Connor Seabull, but maybe maybe a side note compared to to Chris Sale. He was down in the Florida uh, Complex League as well on Monday and oddly enough was against Chris Archer, who was also rehabbing with the Rays. Seabolt uh, through two and two-thirds innings, two runs, and seven strikeouts. So, uh, you know, anything to add? Just good to see injured pitchers moving in the right direction, shall we? Yeah, honestly, it, it's great to see both. Um, that sales start, um, I, I really like it. You know, Ian said that, you know, it's mostly – you know, Ian Cundle of, you know, the great SoxProspects.com website, um, you know, you know, he said it was like mostly weak contact, one double. That makes sense. Um, if he's getting weak contact and he's getting like, you know, just a bad bit luck with that one double, it's totally fine. Like he didn't give up any yeah. walks. I loved it. Um, and then just seeing Seabold just get back on the mound because it's been kind of radio silence ever since yeah, we're going to shut him down for some type of injury. So just seeing him getting back on the mound, he performed, like, pretty well. Seven yeah. Ks in two and two-thirds innings. I, it, I, yeah, it's really great. You saw more of the Futures game than I did. Uh, Brian Bayo and Jeter Downs, what did you see from the two of them this past weekend? <laughs> well, I saw a lot more of Jeter Downs than I did of Brian Bayo. <laughs> like, I'm going to get on my soapbox here. Um, Let's hear it. With uh, with the uh, with the MLB like the broadcast, um, when Brian Bayo was on the mounds, they were interviewing. I can't remember who they were interviewing, um, but they were interviewing a player that who had just done something in the you know half inning prior, and 
they were just focused on that interview and I didn't really see anything of Brian Bayer. Like I saw more of Bayo on Twitter than I did on the broadcast. So shame on them. I'm very upset. That's not great. Yes, it's not great. Um, because I Especially family members getting to see him throw on national television for, you know, the only time really of the whole season. Exactly. It was just, yeah, not good. Um, yeah. But I, I think that he did okay. Like he really was facing like a good, 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 a lot of good prospects um, in that lineup. And he was okay. Uh, but again, like he had just made his like debut and, uh, in double A. So I'm totally fine with Bayo not looking like lights out. And Jeter Downs, I mean, he looked like, he looked pretty good. He got a, you know, uh, he got a double, two RBI double off Ethan, Ethan Small, which is pretty good. Um, but, uh, yeah, it yeah. was, it was okay. I was just upset about the, the Bayo thing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's great that he was in the game. I don't think, and, and, we talked about Bayo plenty, but we didn't see that coming, that he was going to be in the yeah. Futures game as early as this year. So it's just awesome that he got that opportunity, albeit, you know, just getting two-thirds of an inning. But, the, yeah, the Downs double was a rocket to left field, you know, that got to the left field wall in about a half a second off of small. So he struck out in his other at-bat, but good to see both of them there. Um, didn't get to catch as much of that game as I would have liked to. Moving along, just a few other notes. We did want to mention Tristan Cassis, who is starting to come alive a little bit. We haven't talked about him as much, which we probably should have, but he did not hit a home run after returning from the Olympic qualifiers from June 8th through July 11th. That was 26 games without a home run. Hit 226 in that span. So he homered on Tuesday night as well as Wednesday night up to uh, 5 and 6 be good to see him start to get going a little bit although it seems like the um plate discipline was still solid despite that slump that he was in um and then promotions a couple of promotions uh jose damas up to worcester alex scherf was promoted to portland double a and then from salem to greenville uh, jacks groshans brandon walter and cody scroggins and then I also wanted to list uh, Chi Young Lu, who was briefly, I think, one start at the Florida Complex. They brought him up to uh, to Salem. He's had two outings. He was great in his first outing, five shutout, and then got hit around a little bit, giving up five earned in his second outing. So any of those that you're excited about, Shelley, um, or notable in your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, Jack's, uh, Jack's Groshans, um, I, I have been a fan of, uh, especially this year. Um, he's performed really well. Um, our catching depth um, is is not that great outside of uh, Connor Walt. So if we can really get Jack Groshans as some type of maybe like a backup type of short uh, uh, backup type of catcher, it's really great. And to see him get a promotion, I just absolutely love it. Yep, I think that is probably the most notable one. I did want to mention. Jose Adamas, who I don't think we've talked about before, he's 28 years old and he got promoted to Worcester, but throws 100 and in 19 outings, 19 and a third innings down at Portland, he had 10 saves, he was their closer there, 2.33 ERA, 
eight walks, uh, only 11 hits in those 19 innings, so giving up less than a base runner per inning, and he struck out 27. And since he's gotten to Worcester, he's had thrown three innings, two hits, no runs, got a win. So that is a certainly a late bloomer um, that kind of seemed like a depth reliever, but threw 100. And, hey, if you throw 100 and you can find even a reasonable second pitch, you know, 28 years old from the Dominican Republic, just a name to keep an eye on that, you know, if he continues to throw well at Worcester, it could be a name that we see uh, with all of the pitching injuries that we've saw, seen this year. He, he could get a chance at some point. Maybe it was like a September call-up or something. Yep. All right. And then lastly, the Dominican Summer League debuted this week. There's going to be two teams for the Red Sox. Uh, we will dive into um, that rookie league level in future episodes for sure where we can give it our full attention but there's a lot going on this week kind of some names that we mentioned before miguel uh, blaze luis perales and juan chacon are some names of note that we've talked about in the past we'll definitely get into the summer league a little bit more often as they have two teams there and then there's one team at the florida complex league so we'll work that into future episodes but jaron duran and the draft kind of took precedence this week and uh yeah, so if you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on whichever platform you listen uh, to the Over the Monster podcast on. There are a bunch of other ones that are out there, of course, and I did join actually with Keaton this week on Monday on the the Red Seat podcast in place of Jake, who has some good family news. Welcome the little one into the house, so shout out to Jake and his wife. Congratulations. I know he's filled in and been on the show several times. So congrats to Jake on that. Um, Shelly, anything that you wanted to mention? Do you have a pre-cap or anything you're recording this week? Uh, yeah. Uh, Keaton and I did a pre-cap on Sunday. Um, and then we kind of like took the week off and we will be coming back, uh, to your ear holes, uh, I guess next weekend. (laughs) As well, you should, you deserve a (laughs) <laughs> a weeknight off for once so yeah all right well this was great talking to you about the draft and our pal jaron duran so thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next week